Good morning. So as most of you super spiritual giants out there can relate to, um, I usually speak on the topic of marriage. So I just thought the best possible thing to do this morning would be to get in an argument with my husband. Um <laughs> So that by the time we both left to do our ministry for the day, we could both be angry and I could be crying while I was trying to put my makeup on. So I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Keeping it real. God uses these things to keep us humble, doesn't he? So I just wanted to tell you that because I'm going to say some things today and I don't want any of you to get the mistaken impression that I have anything together at all. (laughs) These are merely concepts that I prayerfully try to apply, and many or most of the time I fail. Um, So anyway, so yeah, that was our that was our morning, and the children are just watching. Are you speaking this morning, Mom? Yes, was it was a great day. So Sandy had kind of brought up earlier um, a little blurb that I had <clears throat> written about my definition of commitment, which is pre-deciding. Commitment is pre-deciding on specific relational parameters and then keeping those parameters. And a lot of this is in your booklet. You can kind of follow along with me and add other notes if you'd like to. For example, I've already committed to Matt on the day I married him. That means that I predecided to be faithful and loving, etc. Circumstances might shift and change around us, but the commitment has already been made, and that doesn't change ever. The verse that keeps coming to mind here is Matthew 5:37, and Jesus is talking here, and he was a pretty committed guy. You probably already know that. I mean, talk about predeciding something and then following through. Jesus says, "All you need to say." is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Whoa. That's pretty heavy. He's saying that not keeping our word, that comes from Satan. To put it another way, Jesus is a promise keeper and Satan is a promise breaker. Remember the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? Well, I think we need to change it a little bit, and we need to say, I have predecided to follow Jesus. Um, but I want to back up and start, not in our marriages, but I want to start in our relationship with God, what that looks like. As Christian women, if that's what we say we are, we have already made the decision to follow him. So that should inform every single aspect of our life. Our relationship with Christ is to be first before our spouse, before our children, before Pinterest, before Facebook. When we put Christ first and rely on him for our peace, stability, and happiness, he gives us the tools that we need to better love our spouses. None of us will be able to execute all of this perfectly, but with Christ's help, we are certainly more capable of succeeding at this than we are without it. And looking around, you can see that we live in a pretty uncommitted culture. You hear the term a lot, well, we just fell out of love. 
I, I, I can relate to that feeling of not liking that person very much. In fact, about an hour ago, I felt that way. Um, so this falling out of love has become, we just grew apart. We became different people, all these different reasons. And those are, at least currently, those are culturally acceptable reasons to get divorced. But if you have pre-decided to stay married and have put Christ first, then it's easier to hang on regardless of how you do or do not feel. And I'm not talking flippantly about these. Many of you um, have heard a lot of my testimony, and you know that Matt and I have gone through some very serious struggles in our marriage, and we've hung on, and that's by the grace of God. As I've been working through the last few weeks and um, thinking about this commit or this topic of commitment, the passage that kept coming to mind over and over is a chapter from Colossians 3. And it's it's a pretty long passage, but I want you to really just kind of take a breath and stop and listen to this. And then after I read it, we're going to go back to little segments of it and explain what that looks like, at least in our marriage. So Colossians 3 said, If then you have been raised in Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, ladies sitting in this room, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Oh, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is exactly how I would have said it. Just so you know. So I'm going to tell you a few ways we try to apply that 
passage that sounds very lofty in our relationship day to day. And these are just a few examples. And again, you know the reality. None of us do any of these things perfectly, but these are decisions that we have already made and we just keep committing over and over to these same things. Uh, The first one is an example because I cannot believe what I hear people say to one another within their relationships. We never fight ugly. Um, Backing up to verse 8 in Colossians 3, it says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. We never, ever fight ugly. That means we never say, you always, or you never. We don't curse at each other. And I know some of you think, well, of course you don't. Ladies, you cannot believe what I hear that people say to one another that are married to each other. And, and like, I don't know how you get over that. Like, the words that come out are so hurtful. We don't curse at each other. We don't call each other names. We never, ever, ever say anything about divorce. Even jokingly, I don't do it. That's not something anyone should ever throw around. When we were first married and had like a really big blowout fight, kind of our first big one, I told Matt, well, then I'll just divorce you. I can't even, like it hurts me to say it now, but I will never forget the look on his face when I said that to him. And after we talked and cleaned up the rubble from that horrible time, um, we committed that we would never use that word in our marriage. Um, because they're poison. It is poisonous to your relationship. And then what helps me in those moments when I'm angry or frustrated is um, I remember that Matt is made in God's image, and therefore I need to love him accordingly. And even as angry as I get with him or he gets with me, we remember that we have a Heavenly Father that loves him regardless of how I feel in that moment. So that's an example. Example example one, we never fight ugly. Example two is we have a relational order in our home. Um, That goes back to verses uh, Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 3. Let me just read it to you here. If then you have been raised by Christ, with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. Our spiritual walk comes first, then our marriage, then our children. It is super duper duper important for your children to see that your relationship is first in that home. It's healthy. It's the way it's supposed to be. They'll survive and they do not need to come first. Can I get an amen? Amen. Word up. Okay, so... Um, we don't always get it right, but it's the parameters that we try to stick to as best we can. Because I'm going to just tell you, kids will take as much space as you give them. Am I right? And so, therefore, you have to teach them the space that they need to, to take up. And it's good for them. Thirdly, we protect one another's dignity. We both choose not to bash each other to our friends and never, ever to our family. This one's a biggie. Sometimes we want to vent to somebody, and we can destroy our spouse and their reputation in the eyes of others. We get over whatever we're angry about, but your mom doesn't. 
your mom or your dad, they are like, I wrote that down. And they're looking at them and looking through the list at Christmas dinner. Um, so we move on, but a lot of times the people that we vented to can't. They're not capable of doing that, and it's very destructive. If you are venting to other people about your marriages, stop it right now. You have to stop it. If you have someone that is godly and that you can trust, that you can go to and say, here's what I'm struggling with, that's different than the lady that was telling me what an idiot her husband was because he didn't know the right kind of formula to get at the grocery store. Do you see the difference? See the difference? Okay. And culturally, we kind of have this attitude like, oh, you know, I don't know how we, like as if we have married such morons that they are not capable of doing anything. God were here, they'd kill themselves. You know, it's that whole, isn't it? Don't, don't you hear that like all the time on television? And it's like acceptable. And I remember sitting in a room with some ladies and they were all talking about how dumb their husbands were that they wouldn't ever send them to the grocery store alone. And they were just, and it kind of was this downward spiral. And I was the new person in the group. And so I did what I do so well. I gently entered into the conversation, and I said, wow, your husbands sound like idiots. And that went really well. They were, they were really glad I said that, and um, we became best friends after that. But I just said, if they were really that dumb, why'd you marry them? I mean, they can't function at all. So we just need to be very careful with that, you know? <laughs> all right, moving on. Um, so this one's a biggie. Uh, the fourth one is we keep no record of wrong. Okay. It's a little hard. Sometimes we try to keep no record of wrong, but honestly, throwing up things from the past, regurgitating past offenses over and over is absolutely destructive. If there are things that are hurtful and that you really honestly feel like you cannot get over, then yes, I think you do need to go talk to somebody that's qualified to help you move past it. And that, again, is why it's so important that you keep your spiritual walk first, because through those things, that's when you're able to do that with grace and and still give your husband dignity. Um, so, again, this all goes back to um, we are not perfect in our marriage. We press on, but what I want to kind of drive home here is the fact that little little blurb in Colossians 3 where it says, when your life is hidden in Christ with God. I think that's so beautifully worded. And what that means is that your hopes, desires, emotions, 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 Sandy, are hidden in Christ with God. That is a game changer. It absolutely changes me, and it absolutely changes how I navigate each day. When I live life with God as my first love, not my husband or my children, God, my needs and expectations become radically different. My motivations change, and I quit doing things out of a desire to create a specific response. And you know what I'm talking about there. And instead I do things because they honor Christ, and that is life-giving rather than soul-sucking. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so an example of this is, you know the people that say, oh, I'm so fat. You know those people? Come on, you know those people. And they weigh like 80 pounds. And you're like, I could break you like a stick. Anyway, but they're not saying they're so fat because they are so fat. What they're looking for is a specific response, right? So they don't want you to agree with them and go, yes, you are huge. Wow. They want you to say, no, no, you're not. They're saying something and looking for a specific response. That's what we do a lot of times. Whether or not we mean to do it, it's manipulative. I have a good friend that's a pastor that Matt and I are still very close to, and he, his name is Bing Davis, and he always would say, are you looking for information or affirmation? So when you're saying things in the context of your marriages, your parenting, your friendships, whatever it is, what are you really trying to get out of that moment? Are you trying to get information or you just want someone to prop you up? And what we need to do is be able to get to the points in our friendships, marriages, all those things, to say to someone, I feel crummy today and my heart is hurting and I need you to pray with me instead of, do you think this, these jeans make my butt look big? You know what I mean? See? It's true. Come on. We do it. So I quit thinking about me all the time. That's the other good part of this. And I start thinking about Christ because I understand who I am in him. And that gives me the long view instead of the temporal view of how I'm feeling in a given moment. So a few months ago, uh, I shared with you guys um, the little thing we did at Thanksgiving where my parents were there and we all wrote on each other's placemats and shared things. And my dad and mom were with us and my dad had written basically the number of years, months, days, hours, and minutes that he had known my mother. Yeah, it was the cutest thing in the world. Um, But what I want to share with you very briefly is a little explanation before I read you an email that my mom sent to me. When they met, they were both in high school. They went to rival high schools, and they met at a roller skating rink. Yes, it's like a movie. They met at a roller skating rink in the 1950s, and she still remembers exactly what he was wearing that day. He was wearing a white shirt with long sleeves and cufflinks and jeans, and his hair was all slicked back and the whole deal. He remembers, she remembers that whole situation, and she was there with a friend who he knew as well, So they set it up so that he took her friend home first and then took her home. And they became friends and hung out. My mom was in a terribly difficult situation at home. And so in the 50s, it was fairly typical for girls to get married out of high school or during high school. So thinking she would escape from an abusive situation at home, she married a guy a few years older than her and they left the state. She very quickly realized that She had married an abuser and through a long series of events got back in touch with my dad um, and they started corresponding again. And um, so she became convicted, not that they were doing anything wrong or dating necessarily, but they were staying in touch. And she said, "If, if I really want to make 
the marriage work. I need to stop corresponding with you. I don't feel right about it. And so he apologized to her and said he would quit writing her. And I know this because I've read all these letters. She ended up leaving a few months later fearing for her life. She left in the middle of the night. She had her literally a suitcase in one hand and her roller skate case in another. And she got on a bus from Ohio and rode all night long to get back to a home that she didn't really want to go back to. She ended up finding a little tiny apartment above a drugstore where she took a job at Soda Fountain and made just enough to make her bills and everything. One day her science teacher came in and said, you need to come back to school and finish your diploma. At that time she had just started dating my dad again, who she had found out had been in love with her the entire time, and she never knew it. And uh, so he said, I think he's right. You should go back and get your diploma. So she went back and got it. And as he was helping her with it, they discovered she did not know how to read. She was 21 at that time, and nobody had figured that out. So my dad taught her how to read and married her not knowing all the luggage she was carrying with her which obviously comes out at some point. It's pretty heavy to try to carry it all around. But they, she, she got her diploma, graduated. Then they went out on a picnic for Father's Day, and they eloped. They called a friend of theirs who knew a judge, and they called the judge, and the judge met him at a courthouse, and they eloped on Father's Day. And... Um, I tell you all that because I want you to hear what she just wrote to me recently. And they have been the epitome of commitment because what they've walked through together as they've sought to lead godly lives and sought to restore my mother after years of pretty horrific abuse, um, I have nothing but respect for the two of them and the way they've clung to Christ first and then to one another. So she writes to me after she heard my talk last month talking about my dad. She wrote, Hi, my darling daughter. I just listened to your talk. So precious to hear you talk about your father like you do. He is an amazing man. He loves his family so much. I told him this morning I would like to tell everybody how $10.25, the cost of the marriage license, how $10.25 was invested in 58 years, and the dividend has paid off in such happiness. I love him so much. Thank you for all your love toward us. You and your brother are such a blessing to us. Love your mama. That is commitment. That is a picture, a little tiny slice of what it means and looks like when you put Jesus Christ first, and if you know my mom at all, you know that, boy, she is all about Jesus. She is like a little walking Bible. She's about this tall. She's a giant bow in her hair. You'll know her when you see her. And she knows God's word. She has hidden unbelievable amounts of God's word in her heart. And it has been a life-changing difference for them. And I pray that as you guys... Look at your relationships, your marriages, that you 
really think and pray about where your commitments lie. I love the way Maxine put it when she said something about think. I wrote it down because it was so good. How does your commitment fall in line with God's plan? And I agree with that. I want to leave you with that and really think about that. How does your commitment, what, what you're committed to, fall in line with what God's plans are for your life? Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing, such a good God. And we are so humbled, Lord Jesus. Thank you for committing yourself and your life to us. And Father, I pray that we would let these things pour into us and help us filter through all the stuff that just does not matter and get to what really matters, and that is loving you and loving one another well. We give you our marriages, all the good and the bad and the ugly. We hand those things to you, and we commit, and we will not stop committing. In your name, amen.